Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to three. I'm Gil Gross, joined as always by Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Monte Carlo is right around the corner. Novak Djokovic returns to tour after an absence of more than a month. We are hitting the red clay. We're going to talk about Rafa Nadal pulling out of Monte Carlo and and what that might mean for his trajectory going through the clay court season. Uh, We will also touch on Roger Federer's commercial with Trevor Noah uh, for... (laughs) Swiss tourism. It was something else. And uh, finally, maybe we'll get some thoughts in on uh, Medvedev winning Miami. That'll tie into our discussion of Monte Carlo and uh, Novak's chances of winning and what the field is looking like this week. So uh, let's start there. Amy, I know, you know what, before we go to the draw, we usually start with the draw with these kinds of things. Let's talk about the, the form. What kind of form do we expect Novak to be in at this Monte Carlo, Amy? This is an opinion, but I think it's gonna be tip top form. As I personally have gotten older, I realize the value of rest and he's still considerably younger than me, but he is probably starting to understand what it feels like when you've been away and you come back to it. You approach it with a freshness. Your body feels good. Your mind is rested. I've said from the beginning that I thought the fact that he wasn't able to play the Sunshine Double was actually a good thing. And he's hungry. I think he's hungry to grab Roland Garros, cement his legacy. And this is the tune-up. This is where he has a place, a, a residence. So I think his form is going to be pretty doggone good. Ditto. Okay. I will be the detractor. I <laughs> don't expect uh, a 100% Novak. I, I expect a compromised one. I'll start by saying I think he's going to play very, very aggressively and look for his big forehand that helps him so much uh, in getting through the clay court. But I, I expect him to not be quite as solid as we normally see. And, and he in my opinion, will be making more errors than usual, which is what we've seen in the last two Monte Carlos against uh, Alejandro Davidovich Fikina in the first round last year, Dan Evans in the round of 16, uh, which was his second match the year before. He lost to Daniil Medvedev in the quarterfinals in 2019. I think Novak runs into a problem here, which is that without matches, when he misses so much time and misses the Sunshine Double, His cardiovascular fitness can't really be up to par. Unless you're playing matches, you can't really get that where it needs to be. Monte Carlo is such a slow clay court. It's so windy. You have to be able to play long rallies. And I think that's been the missing piece for Djokovic, where you have a guy like Dan Evans outlasting him in a match in Monte Carlo. So I just think the pattern makes sense to me, and I feel like it it might continue Uh, Not that Djokovic loses as early as his first or second match, but I don't expect him to win this. 
Well, you make, you make some fair points. The field in Monte Carlo is so refined. Almost every player in the field is a high quality player. So he could run up against some problems early. Uh, that being said, Gil, I checked the wind. Yes, I did. It's not going to be that windy. There's going to be a light breeze around eight, nine miles per hour. You know, do your kilometers or whatever. I, I don't do that. I'm ugly American. But um, it's not going to be that windy. It's going to be 65 degrees and low humidity. So I think the conditions are actually going to play slightly faster than they normally do. Slightly faster, still slow court. But um, I think that's going to benefit Novak. But we'll see. It sounds like a bit of a hedger. My point is, I think I agree with Amy's points about Novak's freshness, um, that doesn't mean I think he's going to win the tournament. That just means I think we're going to see him in this, because I think he's, you know, of course, when you're at his stage, and this has been true for a while, he's playing the long game of where his tennis is at and what he's doing and what's working and what's healthy and what's sharp and getting in the matches, early rounds. He might play uh, Mackenzie McDonald in the second round, Musetti down the road, Sinner, Center in the um that would be a quarterfinal I believe that would that'd be a quarterfinal that that's that's where things get a little more um uh revelatory you know we start to see where he's at yeah I I also agree with the point of the rest having benefits I I think they're long-term benefits more than short term so this is it's kind of interesting to think about is all this missed time that Djokovic has had to experience uh, because of COVID these last two to three years, has is that going to add on years to his career in the long run? And is it helping him stay fresh uh, for the majors? Because uh, other than the U.S. Open, he's been able to play them. Uh, he'll be able to play the U.S. Open this year. Uh, there is a decent argument to be made that the all the time off is actually going to really pay dividends in a way that, uh, might be somewhat unexpected. All of the above. That's right. It's going to extend his career. He's going to be um, going to be 36 in May, and that and and the way and also the way he plays, the way he trains. I mean, I think uh, also this tournament. I want to get into aspects of this tournament because I really um, I, I I envy you and Amy for having been to Monte Carlo. I haven't been to that tournament, and it always strikes me when I turn it on on that Monday Tuesday when it's getting so like a fresh aspect of the tennis year. I mean, we love the hardcore stuff, Miami and Indian Wells. And now it's like Europe and there's something, Monte Carlo is really a great way to really kick it off. And it's so between the, the captivating venue and the exoticness of the, of the city and the players for this high stakes event. And I think people like uh, Nadal in particular elevated it to another level of significance, won it 11 times, Novak's won it twice. And I don't know, I think, uh, I'd be curious to see what Novak unveils. I mean, we saw some new things in Australia. We talked about adding mess, what muscle mass to his body and hitting the ball harder. So, what's how's this going to play out on the clay? Good question. I can't believe you haven't been there, Joel. You got to get out there. It, it is, it is what you think it is, and more. It's you know a very Grace Kelly champagne, lovely vistas you know, the, the courts are pristine, has a very European uh, flavor. You can walk to France 
and Italy is 20 minutes away. It, it's just an incredible venue and it does have a freshness to it. it it's a beautiful place to um, watch tennis. I was lucky enough to hit on one of the courts. Um, it, I, I think I'm going to write an article on this. The surface on that particular day, and it was a little bit um, more humid on the morning that I hit, was a little more like the green clay in the United States and a little bit less like Roland Garros, if you can believe that. Um, but it it very much goes with the weather. And if the sun, it's kind of the the whole country club is on a hillside. And if the sun bakes that hillside, then it really does influence the conditions. Yeah, it just looks so super elegant and kind of a mix of once upon, I, I read a book once about tennis and the Riviera from like 1874 to 1939 and people playing all around Nice and uh, and Khan and so now uh, Monte Carlo. I mean, yeah, it does look, uh, like I said, Grace Kelly for um, American movie star of the 50s who married uh, Prince. Mm -hmm. And became the princess of Monaco. That's right. It's bucket list for me. Uh, there, that one, and and Rome are probably okay. the, the the two tournaments that I want to get to the most. We'll know uh, three has arrived. We'll know our show has reached a new level of things when we're like uh, we're in in Rome and we're having our our Rome and Monte Carlo. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> exactly. And the Australian Open. I, I got to hit that to uh, complete complete the Grand Slam. Oh, the Gill Slam. Attendance. The Gill Slam. Yes. All right. Novak's draw. Mm -hmm. Uh. There was a, a withdrawal uh, that will potentially affect his first match. It was supposed to be Mackenzie McDonald uh, versus Brandon Nakashima. The winner plays Djokovic. Now it's going to be qualifier Ivan Gakov, um, who I have actually never watched. He's world number 186. Uh, he's competing as a neutral athlete, which means he's either from Russia or Belarus, and I'm not sure which. Uh, he takes on Mackenzie McDonald. Uh, then in the next round, the round of 16, that is the first round where you can face a seeded player. And that seeded player would be Lorenzo Musetti, but uh, Musetti plays Miamir Ketsmanovic in the first round. Ketsmanovic is in the Estoril final today. He might be, Musetti might be an underdog against Ketsmanovic. So that one could really go either way. You also have that young Italian qualifier, Luca Nardi, uh, a wild card from Monaco as well. Um, and then the high seed in the bottom half is Yannick Sinner. Uh, there's also Hubert Hurkacz in the bottom half of his quarter. So Sinner and Hurkacz are the two seeds uh, with Djokovic. So let's just start with his quarter. Amy, what do you think of that uh, that grouping? Um, I think that having Sinner in the quarter is tough. Um because Sinner is playing so well. Sinner is also very familiar with this club, local to the area. Um, and it, it's funny, there was some great video yesterday of the two of them in Monte Carlo playing a little uh, juggle tennis or something uh, for a fan appreciation, something like that. And I was like, wow, here they are having fun with each other and they're in the same quarter, right? Only in tennis. <laughs> so um, really tough matchup for Novak if if that is the quarter. Um, before that, I think he's okay. You know, Hercotch is not known for his clay court prowess. 
and um, I think he'll do okay. This is pretty ideal for him up until that point. Uh, Sinner, interesting, playing doubles with Diego Schwartzman, and I think this is part of the. I want to, I want to surmise that this might be some of the Darren Cahill influence of like, yeah, get better in the front part of the court because that's the upside for Sinner. And again, I think it'll be interesting if he and Novak meet one another. The the, the mix of I want to win this match, I want to be a better player, and how they how they vie with one another and how that works. I, I hope that's a quarter I'd like to see happen. Um, them both, them both get there. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, Sinner, Sinner is definitely a player of interest at this stage, isn't he? To see where he keeps, where he keeps going on. I mean, the, the significance of his rivalry with Alcaraz, the improvements he's made, the working, taking on an Australian coach, which to me is always like a, a big green flag. Yeah. So Sinner also lives in Monte Carlo and he's the home player. There is no one who the crowd gets going for more than Sinner, who's from northern Italy, right around uh, Monte Carlo. So the crowds are are nuts for him. Uh, they are very they're going to be very very loud in his support. Uh, of course, the challenge is that he went deep at Indian Wells, he went deep at Miami, and it's really hard to come to Monte Carlo and have another good result. We saw Carlos Alcaraz uh, last year lose early in Monte Carlo after winning Miami. And I, I looked um, at players who have made the final in both since 2000, and it's only the big three. It's been done three to, since 2000. It's been done three times by Djokovic, three times by Nadal, and once by Federer. So, so far the rule has been, if you're not the big three, you're not gonna make back-to-back -back finals. From Miami yeah. to Monty. Well, yeah. well, if you're not the big three, you're not going to make a lot of finals. <laughs> the last 20 years or so, that's true. But uh, that's really that's really interesting. And I wonder if, it, obviously, surface and travel and freshness. And, and then you've got some other opponents who are digging into the clay. Um, yeah, that's, that's an interesting factor. Just from a tactical and X's and O's standpoint, I think the two areas where we talked about Sinner's improvement, the two areas are the first serve, He's increased um, percentages and, and pace. And I noticed in the United States, he was really blist blistering second serve returns. So I think if he were to play Djokovic, the real war would be fought on second serves. And it depends on what Novak is doing with his second serves. Is he serving faster? Is he, you know, taking some off? Is he kicking? And how aggressively Sinner handles those second serves? That could be something to watch. Yeah, I think the key to beating Novak this week is going to be able to, is going to be uh, making the match as physical as possible. So I think Sinner would want to make a lot of balls and use his movement and his athleticism. Uh, he would need to be physically 100% himself uh, in order to do that. I think typically, though, uh, Novak would give would present a lot of issues for Sinner because Novak is going to absorb that pace uh, really, really well, just like Medvedev absorbs Sinner's pace extremely well. Mm -hmm. So it is interesting. Uh, I, I will just hearken back uh, to the immediate draw that that Novak has and I agree with you Amy that it's it's very good uh and very important at an event like this where he's probably not going to be a hundred percent in his first couple matches I think it's as ideal as as really you can get McDonald Mackey is a a flat hitter who I I don't think has really achieved 
results on clay. And Lorenzo Musetti, who's the seed, I looked at his record against the top 100 this year. It's one in four. So he's really struggled. Uh, he is a, a beautiful player with a lot of talent, but he still hasn't really uh, pulled things together. Uh, Ketsmanovic is interesting. Of course, Novak knows him so, so well. Uh, them both being Serbian, them being close off the court, probably lacking the the weaponry to really take it to Djokovic in the way that a Yannick Sinner could. So it is an, a nice path to the quarterfinal. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It, I looked at, uh, remember, Musetti famously took Djokovic to five sets at Roland Garros. And then uh, Musetti ended up pulling out or withdrawing uh, in the fifth set with an injury. I think that match has kind of dogged Musetti. And then I believe they did play again at Monte Carlo. And Djokovic got him in two sets, like, if I'm right about that. Yeah, you're right. It hasn't been the same since the Roland Garros match, uh, which, which is. Well, Musetti, you know, the one-handed backhand in contemporary tennis is a um, is a tricky thing to build a game around. You know, Musetti, you know, it's like I was talking to someone. Yeah. The very great qualities of the one-handed backhand almost undermine. You know, I like a quotidian shot, a day mm-hmm. in and day out two-hander that just kind of. I mean. Mm-hmm. And, and like I'll take I'll take a Novak two-hander over a Stan Wawrinka one-hander because I think I I want a shot that can be sustainable, absorbable, absorbs pace, does different things, hits down the line, lots of different things. And Musetti, I, I think he's still young. I'll be curious. I want to see him. I have a personal appreciation for him. I really enjoy watching him play tennis, but I think he's still in the young formative stages. So I think we're going to see. Okay, where's Novak at? You know, a lot of these matches are like. Uh, compensated practice matches in front of thousands of people where Novak's going to just get a read on his game. Actually, I just, I just looked it up. I'm sorry. I'm going to correct myself. So Gil doesn't have to make the edit. (laughs) Uh, They did not play at Monte Carlo. They played um, UAE and they played at the Paris masters uh, and Novak won those. So uh, they haven't played on clay since that Roland Garros thing, but um, Musetti kind of got a hard time about that match, um, not yes. finishing the match. So that's probably going to be in the back of his mind. So again, I, I think it's, it's an okay draw for Novak until the prospect of center. Right. And again, he needs to beat Ketsmanovic, who's in great form, uh, might be a little tired from Estoril. Uh, but again, he's one in four against top 100 players. Joel, I, I think the, the, the problem I totally agree with you about the one-handed backhand. The problem is that's his best shot. The, right. the, 
where's the serve? Where's the forehand? Like you're right. If, if that's your best shot, your backhand down the line in particular, really tough to win point in and point out with that. That's right. Cause you've got to count on shot making and brilliance and dazzlement. And when it, when it's happening, it's fun. I mean, that was a wonderful match. He and Novak played for particularly those two sets. Musetti won, but once Novak got kind of on top of him, then things took a different path. So it's kind of for the, the developmental challenge. You know, it's funny. Maybe you could merge Musetti and Berrettini forehand and back. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, would that, be would... A, that would be a phenomenal player, huh? That's right. That's right. Let's yeah. talk about Nadal. Nadal pulls out of, of Monte Carlo. There have been training videos uh, for Rafa for a couple of weeks now. So we know he's on court. We know he's uh, putting in some some on-court work in, in some capacity and has been for a while, uh, but he said he, he wasn't quite ready. Uh, of course, the abductor injury that he sustained in Australia is uh, what he's uh, looking to come back from this time. Joel, uh, what were your reactions to Rafa pulling out here? Not surprised. I mean, I would have been more surprised if he'd play. I'd say about 85% of me. Oh, not surprised. That makes sense. I mean, again, we're looking at the long game. We're looking at making sure we get some... Uh, Madrid and Rome time. I'm not sure if he's in Barcelona, but definitely he wants to get those two play at those Masters thousands. And, you know, the arc, the arc of this clay season, I mean, we're now, today is uh, April 9th. So Roland Garros starts the end of May. I, I think that was kind of a, a prudent and expected step for Nadal to take. Get the body, keep the body in shape. Yeah. Though, I, of course, I setting sad. Go on in. Yeah, I have a source that talked directly to Rafa and told him that he wasn't feeling well, unfortunately. Um, now, we've, we've heard that before from Rafa, and he um, has gone to, you know, surge and win majors after having said that. But he did tell my source that he's going to attempt to enter this clay season. He's going to try. I would not expect him in Barcelona or Madrid. This is just based on, he didn't say that, but this is just based on him saying that he's not feeling well. And um, maybe Rome, you know, to, to try to make a go of it. But it also would not shock me if he did not try to, um, to enter at all just based on what he was saying about not feeling great. This would surprise me if Nadal goes to Paris without having played a tournament, because that's never happened. I would be, and also I think Nadal himself, I've said this for years, Nadal himself, his own almost respect for the game. It's almost like I'm not even worthy of taking the exam if I haven't at least done some of the, the homework along the way. I mean, that's a yeah. little bit of Nadal's. I'd be, that would massively surprise me if Nadal does not play a single clay court tournament prior to Roland Garros. Can I ask for a clarification? When you say not feeling well, you're talking about the abductor injury specifically, right? He didn't say that. It was more that his body is not feeling great. He didn't say specifically what it was. Um, and, and my source had told me this was about, I don't know, a week or so ago, he told me that he wasn't going to play Monte Carlo. And sure enough, a couple of days later, after I talked to him, um, he withdrew. Okay. Well, uh, my, my thought is that you can be perfectly on track and get enough tennis to 
uh, compete to the best of your abilities at Roland Garros without playing Monte Carlo. I think Monte Carlo is far enough out where it's it's really exactly. uh, it's it's unessential. So my reaction to Nadal pulling out was okay, good. Uh, hopefully, we learned from what what really to me looked like an error. Uh, by Rafa last year, coming back at Cincinnati and ultimately going backwards in terms of the the ab injury at the U.S. Open, uh, it really seemed like he he wanted to get that warm up in and he pushed it and he shouldn't have, um, or that lead in. I don't like to call them warm ups. I much prefer lead in. Um, so I was like, okay, yeah, let's let's actually come back at a hundred percent because another thing is the scarring mentally of coming back and losing. I think is is becoming more and more significant for Nadal, who hasn't actually had a good tournament in a in a long time now, really since Wimbledon, uh, when when he injured his ab after winning his quarterfinal match. So it's not a good thing anymore, I don't think, to come back if you're Rafa and to to lose early on, uh, because it just becomes more and more demoralizing. I think I, I think so. Don't the other. I think so though. Um. I think for Rafa, it's always every and every player has their time of year. That's their time of year. And Rafa, it's almost like life starts anew in the spring in Europe clay. So I know obviously the the end of 2022, uh, the Australian Open stuff, I think he can, I think the the uh, the selective amnesia of the champions is one of their most commendable qualities. They do it, they do it mid-game, mid-set, mid-match mid-career and it's also interesting when we talk about these things about opting to play and things it's it's only it's only usually the top three not even the top five where we get into the whole thing about pacing and scheduling once you get past like five and below people just i'm playing tournaments you know what i mean it's like if you look at the 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 itineraries you know i don't think for example number eight much less number 14 or 28 is well let's see munich Astro. But they need to, Joel. They need to. There, there's a couple of players, and I was this way with Dominic Team a few years ago, where you know you you check the app to see who's in the draw, and this guy's like constantly playing tournaments, and you're like him again. He's in this one. He just played that one, and um, it, it was getting that way with Tsitsipas. Yep. Um, it was getting that way with Medvedev, although he was not by choice, ended up taking a chunk of the summer off last year. Um, some Rublev, some of these guys, I really think that that um, are in the top 10 or near the top 10. I think they've got to be much more careful about Agreed. their schedules. Agreed. So it's almost as if you, a player should reach a stage that's like, hmm, if I've reached if I've ever reached two straight semi, you know, there needs to be some like some markers that say I need to refine the scheduling, just like the way that players, I learned this from a trainer, a player gets past about 28, 29 years old, the training regimen changes, what the body works on you. Know, that was a fetter. Other players did it a little more ad hoc. Fetter was kind of a master of it. He took it to his science, probably what, what's my training ritual at 29. That's different than when I was 24. So what's my scheduling ritual? You know, a lot of these players, like I think team, he probably wasn't aware of how good he was going to do. And there are other factors too. You're right. And he was, and we all knew it while it was happening. You know, he's playing the South American clay court. He's playing these things and kind of, Hey, Hey buddy. And then look what happened. Jeez. And now he kind of, it wasn't just when the U S open that caused him to kind of physically and emotionally implode. It, other things. Yeah. A lot of tennis. 
Yeah. I've got a question for you guys that you guys being guys, you can answer. Do you think that men in particular, though sometimes women, feel a pressure to earn while they can and maybe enter these tournaments knowing that, you know, their their careers could be taken from them at any time because of physical ailments or, or for whatever reason and they enter these tournaments and they know they can do well um, but they don't have to play them uh, do you think there's a pressure to play I don't think it's a I don't think it's a gender specific thing I think it's a um I think it's a low a low planning cycle that says you know well I don't know I might lose in the second round and I think like I, I did okay as an anecdote example I asked a lot of players once what day constitutes a happy exit for you from the tournament? A one-week tournament, not mm -hmm. a slam. What day? Good question. And, and several said Wednesday, like I won a match. What, mm. do you think, what, do you guys, what do you think the mean was? Where do you think it landed? Quarterfinals. Uh, Friday. Yeah. Okay. Yep. You got it. Spot on. And then, and then I asked Jimmy Connors, and what do you think he said to me? Sunday. That's right. He says to me, what day do you think? And so in a way, and, and I talked to another player once who admitted that he, and this, this player was talking about this, the majors. He said, you know, I didn't quite believe in myself well enough to plan out to peak for majors. So I, I played smaller appearance fees. And next thing you know, you're playing, next thing you know, you're playing, um, you're playing uh, four straight weeks. You know, like, yeah. like Lowe told me once, she didn't always think it's a good idea to play the week before a major because now you're committing yourself for three straight weeks of tennis. Yeah. But it's kind of like the casting the vision of your game. And I think it's kind of an attitudinal thing. I don't think the, the, it's, that's, it's not so much pressure as much as kind of like, well, I don't know. I, I might be out on Wednesday. Better make sure I'm in Munich next week or Kitzbühel or whatever. Mm -hmm. You get going on it. It totally depends on your expectations and your prioritization, right? If you're like Ilya Avashka, who comes to mind as someone who recently won Winston-Salem, and you win Winston-Salem, it's your first career title, and then I don't know if he lost first round at the U.S. Open, but let's say he did. That's still a good two weeks. But if Novak Djokovic won Winston-Salem and lost first round at the U.S. Open, that's a horrific two weeks. So it's a totally different kind of thing. Right, so therefore you don't want to play Winston-Salem two years in a row because you need to think it's, 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 it's a mapping. It's a mapping question. Actually, I'm going to take but it. You've got to defend your title. You no, know, you don't. No, you, <laughs> no, you're you right. Don't. Right. You don't, but you the really pressure, the pressure is there because you're so grateful to whoever put that tournament on and the fans and all that. And it has good memories for you. So there's, you know, pressure. Pressure is it's a, it's an illusion that way. So I think it's, it's a privilege. Important. Yeah, I know that too. That's why I tell, that's why I tell my dentist. That's why I tell my dentist when they're working on my teeth, pressure is a privilege. And uh, uh, I think when you, um, when you map out your career, it's the same thing. Even I would say this, even if a weird way for like, yeah, these players, they need to see how they envision their career. And maybe they say, you know what? I want to give myself the best chance to do the best I can at the U S open. I've won a tournament. I've competed well with top 10 players. Let me think about this. And if it doesn't work out, I'll adjust because there's always plenty. There's pl I'm not going to die. You know, I, I talked to another player once. This is in the days when they used to take a boat to go to Australia. This guy took a ship. Took three <laughs> weeks, 
it takes three weeks to get to Australia. And I said, wow, you went three weeks without even playing. How was that? He goes, he said, you're an idiot. Do you think I forgot how to play tennis after three weeks? You know, it's like, well, you know, uh, that brings it back full circle to Novak, yep. which is, you know, he's going to have a good tournament. I could be. Well, we lost we... you a little bit there, Amy. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. But first of all, Joel, can you just, can you say who that was? What on the, on the boat? Yeah. Gene Mako, Don Budge's doubles partner. Okay. They took the boat down in 38 from San Francisco to Australia. Nice 21 day cruise to <laughs> Australia. And then okay. they won it. Budge won all four majors. That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz pulled out of Monte Carlo with injuries that I believe he could play through. He said he has uh, post traumatic arthritis in his left hand and discomfort in his lower spine. Uh, so I. Sounds awful, doesn't it? Post traumatic yeah. arthritis from a 19 year old. I mean, it just, just sounds like a, it's, it's one of those injuries that the name is worse than it actually is. Yeah. It's, why should, it's he, why should he play through it? He shouldn't, he shouldn't. I'm, I'm praising him, but that's code for soreness. No, nah? yes. it's code for soreness. <laughs> okay. So Alcaraz is sore. So he pulled out of Monte Carlo and that's smart. Uh, and he, he didn't play any of the uh, Wimbledon warm uh, lead-ins uh, last year. He didn't play the Australian Open lead-ins last year. So he is someone who I think uh, his team has done what we kind of want more top players to do, which is, hey, uh, we've got to be 100% for the majors because this is what we expect out of ourselves. Uh, our, our goals are, are up here, and we want to reach those goals in terms of winning the biggest tournaments on the calendar. Well, his deal, though, is that he... Nadal had this too in a way that even Djokovic and Federer did not. He rocketed enough, the results happened. You know what I mean? He's he's winning. He wins a major as a teenager. So it's kind of like a bar is set. We know this. We're looking for a lot of Sundays kids, aren't we? I mean, Yes, it, but it, this it, was before that. Right. Right. But that even I'm then, talking about. Well, right. So then it has to do with how we go about managing the career and what the off weeks are and what the, what the practices are. I mean, I don't know. I'd be curious and I'll probably never know these weeks what's Novak been doing practice wise has he been has he been playing practice sets has he been drilling what's it all consist of that that's fascinating let's go on to Roger Federer this was maybe his biggest kind of public thing since labor cup <laughs> he does this how long was it like three or four minutes wasn't it yeah yeah like a it was almost like a little mini movie yes it was like a mini movie uh with Trevor Noah who's the, the host of The Daily Show, they have this connection, uh, him and Trevor Noah, which is that they're both uh, from South Africa, or Roger is ha half South African. Uh, so, so they're good buddies. Trevor loves tennis. Uh, and they do this advertisement uh, that was for uh, Swiss uh, tourism. And I, I thought it was very impressive piece of, of cinema, Amy. What about you? The thing I liked about it is that the conventional wisdom right now in marketing is shorter, 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 you know, TikTok, do like a little TikTok-y thing that's like 15 seconds or whatever. And they were like, no, we're going to tell a story here. We're going to do a little cinematic short film. And it's just, you don't see that these days on, on social. And 
you just wondered where are they going with this and what's going to happen next and it had a pacing and an arc to it that was not necessarily narrative it was more just like you were with them on the trip and this lady pays for their tickets because they don't have their wallets and the jokes were funny and it was very Roger, and I absolutely loved it. I want to take that train. I like trains. I want to go to Switzerland. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I um, I also it was it was a meta. It was meta because it was about the making of the commercial, right? And the commercial, goes yeah. Up, and it starts with that. And again, I don't know. I don't know. Having worked in marketing and all, I don't know if it's going to work. You know, I don't know how it's, how Swiss tourism is going to measure the effectiveness of it. We're just going to talk about it. It worked. Our- Joel Amy wants to go. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So they have one. They got one customer. Okay. So Amy got it. Amy's going to Monte Carlo, Switzerland. Can you take? Can we? Can we add Rome too? We'll go. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've never been to Italy, and um, I really want to go. Well, um, uh, I just from a Roger story, I enjoyed it. I thought it was. I thought it was playful. It was funny. There were there were aspects to it where they each kind of make mocking their own image and their fame, and also there's just a sense. To bring it to Roger, since we tennis is our deal, there's just a playful spirit that he carries with him that we've seen in other environments too. There's something, there's something always so present about him. It's like he, with, the situation calls for competing, the situation calls for chilling out. It's just kind of playful. It's like you get the idea that if Federer, if Federer showed up where we were playing tennis, so what do you guys do? How do you play? Have you ever tried this? And he just, he's just likes. There's something so playful and kind of a comfortable about him i was impressed by the acting performance for for a novice (laughs) actor i think to to actually act well though you need to have a really good emotional intelligence you need to understand people how people act what emotions look like i mean actors i know like professionally they're constantly studying other people like if you ever have a conversation with an actor they are taking notes on every facial expression you're making like oh that's how that person is and that's what it looks like so i think federer you know has always had has been so good on on the human side with like connecting with people and understanding you know uh, emotions and stuff like that i think it kind of translated into his ability to actually act in this case I can only imagine though how many takes and you know it's not a that's a low that's an arduous shoot i mean i have a hard time even thinking it was a day i mean that's a that's a lot of work and i know i remember i did a story once on an actor uh and i visited him while he was doing his tv show and he said to me at one point he said yeah they pay me for the waiting <laughs> yeah. yeah have you and, seen the the thing where federer and nadal are trying to film a promo for this exhibition yes. and they can't get through it they keep laughing yeah, yeah. That, was, that was pretty, that was pretty well that what I liked about this one more that one with Federer and Nadal it's like okay two tennis guys do your tennis thing it's kind of for lack of a better term organic and just kind of whatever this this one with Trevor Noah I mean this was carefully planned I mean this was it didn't so- seem that way though it well, seemed like certain scenes could have been one take wonders oh no it, but the, the take felt but- relaxed yeah, it felt relaxed, but I will I will be quite certain that it was there were precise lines, there were precise lines, there were precise movements, there were precise camera angles. I mean, this is there's a great book I read called Thirty Seconds about the making of a commercial, and mm-hmm. it's a whole, you know, it's not just well, I mean, sure, maybe there's a part where one of the protagonists improvs a line, and they says hey instead of hello, and everybody wow how great, 
but mostly those things are carefully, you're going to do this and you're going to do that because we need you to do things. Cause this is about, this is a business communication. You know, this mm -hmm. isn't just a, you know, Trevor and Roger's excellent adventure. Yeah. Even though it seems that way. Yeah. There is one thing that we missed from going through uh, these topics uh, that I want to hit on just before we go, uh, which is Daniil Medvedev after winning Miami. Uh, what do we expect him to be able to do clay season as a whole, but also Monte Carlo? He isn't Djokovic's half uh, of the draw, so it could be a, a semifinal if Daniil were to, to make the last four. The last couple of months, Medvedev has really, really turned a lot of things around. I mean, at the end of Australia, after he lost to Korda, I was thinking, Medvedev, wow, he's kind of been uncovered. And, you know, it's like, what's up with him? And then he's... He's played great. He's played terrific in Miami, played really well in Indian Wells. And now, of course, now we're on clay, his, his least proficient surface. However, he's great. So I'm interested to see what he brings first versus all the other contenders. Like uh, Medvedev Tsitsipas is an interesting match to me. They wouldn't meet here unless they got to the finals. But down the road through the clay court season where they each are, one guy who's done very well on clay, the other who hasn't, but the texture of their rivalry. I'm, I'm, I'm very positive about him right now. Yeah, the running joke during the Sunshine Double was hashtag hardcourt specialist. He kind of coined that himself. But then he stopped by the Tennis Channel desk after he won Miami and was reminding them of his clay court results. So you know that he knows he can do well on the surface. He's capable. Um I like him actually on clay better than a player, a, a different type of tall player like a Taylor Fritz. Although I actually picked Fritz to do well at Monte Carlo. Um, but I think Medvedev has a lot of potential um, just because he's fast and covers a lot of court very quickly. So against a drop shot shotter, you know, uh, on clay, two steps and he's there. Um, he's incredibly fit and well-conditioned. So I think he's, um, I, I low key, I think he's one of these guys who could produce better results than you would think. I agree. I think in the long term, and I said this even last year, Medvedev is going to surprise some people on clay because the days of players being, you know, a top five guy on hard court and not even a top 30 guy on clay those days are over. The, the games are just too similar now where, where you're not going to have that big a disparity. So, you know, I think Medvedev is slower on clay. I don't think he, he moves as well. I think that's one of the things that bothers him. But a lot of other parts of his game, you know, certainly do work well uh, on clay, like his consistency, you know, his ability to, you know, keep the ball in the court is, is a big helper. Um, and, and his forehand has been bigger, I think, in the last couple months, which is going to definitely help him get the ball through those clay courts. I, I think at some point he's human, and he's played more tennis than anybody else in February and March. So I don't know that he goes to, to Monte Carlo with the amount of physical and mental energy that would be required for him to have a good event here. Uh, but I think for the remainder of the clay season, I think there's a couple of results in there that will be really positive for Daniil. That's where I stand. Not Monte Carlo, but at some point. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a good call. And so, I, I, again, I think he played, he showed some real signs of resurgence and effectiveness and maybe some of his um, 
lack of comfort in the front part of the court is a little less apparent on clay. I wonder also, just curious to see how a guy like that, how he tinkers with things with his racket and his strings and how that might affect what he's able to do on clay. That'd be interesting to to learn. Yeah, well, he he went to a softer string in the offseason. He did change. So now I think that's a big reason why he's getting a little bit more pace on his forehand in particular. So uh, in, intuitive call, Joel, because there was a change there. Uh, you guys are probably wondering, I'm basically naysaying everybody. I'm, I'm saying, oh, it's going to be tough for Sinner. It's going to be tough for Medvedev. It's going to be tough for Djokovic. I think somebody wacky is going to win Monte Carlo. That's my call. Somebody unexpected is going to win this event. Titi Pass has the right shoulder injury. That's all I'm going to say, and I'm going to leave it at that. We hope you enjoyed, or that'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. If you're, um, if you leave a review on Apple or Spotify, that is greatly appreciated. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.